Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. Corinthians chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, if you don't, it's going to be on the side screens for you. First Corinthians chapter 3. Um, I, uh, just for a little bit tonight, I, I pray that, um, this message that, I, that I'm going to be preaching tonight, um, many of us, I know that I always try to come from a perspective of what is it that I can encourage us along the journey, but also in the process confront some things. A lot of this is what I've, I've been confronted by and the Lord confronts in me. So um, I'm hoping that tonight that it does, it does help you in that whole process, but encourages you along the way. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4, and we'll read a few verses there. Thanks, Patrick, so much. Verse 4 says that for when, no, for when one person says, I am with Paul, and another, I am with Apollos, are you not ordinary people? And then, or what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I want to take just a moment right here and slow this down, but it says Paul is the one writing this letter to the church at Corinth. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Or the other translation says that God brings the increase. God brings the increase. Now, the one who plants and the one who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward According to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. I'm going to stop there. And tonight I want to talk to you for just a little bit. Depending on how this goes. This may turn into a two part Wednesday night series. But I want to talk to you tonight on the power of a seed. The power of a seed. Now. As I begin to talk about, when we read through Corinthians, it's so simple for us to look and see that it's a letter that's been written to the church at Corinth. But what we don't understand is Paul has visited them previously, and he's writing a letter to bring alignment, to bring correction, to align that church because they're very charismatic, but they're also very wild. They're very, uh, he's having to address some things about people that are uh, um, a, uh, a son-in-law sleeping with a mother-in-law in the church. I mean, it's just wild and crazy. He's having to confront these things. And, uh, but so his first visit to the Corinthian church is one where um, they embrace him. They embrace the message that he brings. Um, so 
that's kind of a little bit of a backstory, but I want to continue to build the backstory till I get into my message. It may take a moment, but I really want to set this up. Um, but the region of Corinth was a very carnal and fleshly-minded area. They did not adopt Judaism. They were polytheistic, which means they had multiple gods. There was multiple religions or no religion. They were, they were the most uh, out there people that we had, you probably have ever connected with. Now, we understand America is a post-Christian nation. They believe that, okay, well, yeah, okay, we'll accept uh, Jesus as one of the gods, but there, he's just one of many, right? There's a lot of people that say there's many roads that lead to heaven, but my response to that is, and I take uh, a, a pastor's uh, quote that he says, if there's many and multiple roads to heaven and to God, then the father owes Jesus an apology for making him die the way that he died. That was brutal. All right, we know there's only one that resurrected and is alive. All the rest of those gods are dead or so to speak men or women that are in a, they're in a tomb, they're in a grave, or they were just a figment of imagination, or could I dare say it's demonic, but I'll leave that where it's at. So there is a various thing in this whole region, just to really give you a backstory to know what you're reading, the context to the text itself. They lavished in the luxury of a transforming age and they indulged in all types of sexual exploits for the benefit of their flesh. You know, you've, you read and you hear about, you know, debauchery and it's like, okay, is, you know, Pastor Eddie will say this from time to time. Has anybody been debauching lately? You know, it's kind of one of the, but they're heavy into that excessive overindulgence of certain things. And Paul comes to minister and he begins to inject the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the soil of their debauchery so that God might actually harvest a changed life through their believing in that message that he's bringing. Because we understand this is all through faith, right? The gospel is by faith you're saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift given to you. Nothing you could do could ever save yourself. So then there's this argument that begins to arise in the church, not in our church. No arguments ever arise in our church, right? There's never any iron sharpening an iron in this church. There's never a schism in the house, is there, right? I've seen a lot of smiling faces. Does that mean there's one right now that I don't know about? No, I'm kidding. Probably. I'm going to keep moving though. So there's an argument that arises in the church and Paul is having to address division that is beginning because it wasn't until... It wasn't until a man named Apollos came that Paul is having to address what he's addressing in chapter 3. Paul begins to talk to him and he says, listen, you're carnal and you're division and you're divisive. In other words, your attitude is divisive and it's destructive. And let me give you an FYI in case some of us may not know it. The Holy Spirit is not in the business of division. It's not who he is. So much stuff is available for Christian consumption, dare I say social media, that produces so much division. It's so divisive. But pastor, you don't understand. I got to get on my rant and just get on my soapbox and let everybody have it for the next 10 minutes while Walmart has 78 lines, but there's only three open. Listen, they created a self-checkout. Use it and shh, be quiet. I'm gonna be, now listen, I'm going to be pastoral tonight. Some things that I haven't seen anything, I promise. Even though, I, listen, I'm limited in what I know at this point, uh, according to my mind, because it's so stretched. Miss Julie is keeping me on point, so uh, she knows that, and I say what, what I know. But 
the Holy Spirit is not in the, he's not in the business of division. There's nothing about Holy Spirit that brings division. He is in the business of multiplication. Look at the addition and the multiplication to the church in the book of Acts chapter 2, right? You see the adding to the church daily such as should be saved. So he's into that. If any spirit speaks to you, I heard somebody tell me some three years ago that said, you know what, I was walking through the house and, and, and it's just like it came out of nowhere that I needed to write a post. They started into this post that actually began to bring nothing more than confusion and division. And you say it's from God? I second guess what, you, what you're saying. It's something that has to be processed through a filter called intercession. I know, hey, some of us, it may, this may hit you in the wrong way. But listen, it's already hit me in the wrong way, so just get in line, right? The Holy Spirit deals with me before he ever deals with you about messages. So conviction's good for you. Be very scared when conviction stops. That means that he's turned you over. I can't do it. Let, him, let, let the enemy work them over as Paul lays it out in the book of Corinth, right? Or in the, in, in the Corinthian church. So if any spirit is speaking to you and it's creating division, it's never God. Because God is always creating unity and he's making us one, not dividing the whole of the group. Your mind separates you from him, but God never separates himself from you, right? He, even he turns you over, he's still there. He's still available for you to turn. So... I understand that I probably just sprayed a little bit of raid on some, on some things, but I'm amazed that people that, that will tear others down in the name of Jesus and say, the Lord told me, the Lord told me to do this. But is that true or was it just your emotions overtook you and you had no self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit that comes out of the power of a seed? You understand something that seed is fruit, it's potential fruit. It's not fruit, it's fruit in seed form that has to be cultivated. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, if I look from over to Monica all the way over to Miss Julie, and there is the, the gifts of the Spirit is given to you. There's nothing you did to earn those. The gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit, the, 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 the Father gifts, the Spirit gifts, the Jesus gifts, all of those are given. They're given, they're free. But the maturing of the fruit actually has to be cultivated. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. All of the faithfulness and self-control. Those have to be cultivated, which means there's something you have to do in that. Right? The gifts of the Spirit come and can be, the Spirit of God begins to come upon me. And I'm used in prophecy. I'm used in gifts of laying on of hands for healing and all those things. But fruit must be cultivated. And self-control is one of those. Selah. Paul is telling them, he says, how dare you say that I'm of Apollos? I'm of Paul. He's saying none of that stuff is anything. None of that matters. He said that, that is nothing. The apostle Paul was, was a man that was, a, he was an intellect, very intelligent. He was, you know, I many of you, if you've read the scripture, he studied under Gamaliel, which is one of the brightest minds in Judaism of that day, knew the Torah frontwards and backwards, knew the first, the, 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 the Psalms and the wisdom books and knew the prophets. They were just very, they were schooled to the utmost uh, in their day. And he, he was one of those that, that God began to use in such a way that was so extravagant. Now, I want to say this. Now, that doesn't mean anything because God also used Peter. And if you study about Peter, he was an unlearned man. 
And, but the, the Pharisees said, we understand these men are unlearned, but we know they've been with Jesus because something's different about them. So it's not to say that if you're not an intellectual that God can't use you. Uh, look at me. <laughs> that ought to make you feel a lot better. Um, study to show yourself approved. But, but, God, but, but God was able to use Paul in such a way that he couldn't use Peter. Why? Because Peter had, or excuse me, Paul had an ability to write. If you look and you see the Pauline literature and you see that he writes in such a way and it, it's an English teacher's nightmare because it's a run-on sentence after run-on sentence after it's a comma. It's like, oh, wait a second, stop, separate it, put a period and start the somewhere. Stop, Paul, right? You read his, if you read the Pauline literature, you see that he, was, he loved to write and it was just the anointing of the Spirit uh, inspired by God coming up on his life that he begins to pen some of the most incredible, extraordinary uh, prayers, the apostolic prayers of Paul of Ephesians 1 and, and 3 and Colossians 1. You're like, man, where does he write that place except that it came from a place of intimacy with God, right? That's where that flowed from. But also God used Paul's mind because he was an intellectual. It was, God used him in such a way, uh, scholars say that he knew around five different languages. He was able to travel in and out of different regions. So look at the, the, the access that he had, the doors that were open for Paul, that he could go and, and plant the seed of the gospel into people's lives. But I wonder how much of that time was actually meant correcting certain churches, writing letters. All right, we got to align ourselves. You understand you can't be out uh, doing all this, this, and this, and this. And we see that through scripture. But he was a brilliant mind. And all of the other intellectuals of his day, his day began to mock and scoff Paul. And because he believed in this message of Jesus and that, there, that a man could actually die. First off is that he never sinned. That he would die, be buried in a tomb for three days and then resurrect and ascend and set up on a throne. And that he was God wrapped in flesh. Why would God wrap himself in flesh and come with his own humanity? It warped the minds of the intellectuals around him. So they scoffed at him. And they mocked at him. Why? Because they laughed at the faith of what Paul had, because here's what I understand. Faith always transcends logic. If you're an intellectual, it's very difficult for you to accept the message of the gospel because it's, it doesn't fit inside your mind. Well, how can God create and form uh, bone where there's no bone in a body? How can, how can God heal someone that, ha that is lame for 37 years and make them take up their mat and begin to walk? How does he do these things? Because faith begins to transcend the logic. Peter and Paul on their, or Peter and John on their way to the temple, they didn't ask the lame man. They just took his hand and pulled him up and he began to walk. Because faith transcends the logic of those that are sitting in a place of dysfunction. So for us, what does it mean that faith transcends logic? It means that you have to give up your right to understand. You with me tonight? Do you, I, but you, you got to explain this to me. I can't. My mystery, my, my, the mystery of God is so much greater than my understanding of who God is. That's why I'm daily in a pursuit. And that's what shrinks you into a place of worship. Because now you understand, oh, he is a lot bigger than what I thought. There's no ending to him. There's no beginning to him. Creates an attitude of a heart of worship and the fear of the Lord. So it's faith that begins to transcend the logic and the intellectual mind. And so, again, you, you have to give up your right to understand to step into the place of faith because 
your heart is going into a room that your head cannot go into. You're going to get stuck up with this intellectual mindset, which is why Paul has an encounter on the road to Damascus. And it transcends everything that he's ever thought. He feels like he's doing the work of God. He's going and killing and, and, and putting Christians in prison. And this is when he has the encounter and everything begins to change. The Corinthian church, I was telling you a while ago, they embraced Paul in his fullness. I'll get to the power of a seed. Just give me a moment to set this up. I told you it may be a two-parter, and I'm good with that. <clears throat> when he first came, until, until a man named Apollos shows up. Now, this is not Apollo Creed. This is not many of us. This is a very intellectual man himself. Some even believe that he was even more intellectual. He was, he was even more brilliant than Paul was. And he was also an intellect. He was very fervent in spirit, as the scripture says. And he was mighty in scriptures. And he was willing to be taught because in Acts, he's teaching something. And they let him finish teaching. They pull him aside and correct him in the right way, by the way. You never correct in that regard because his heart was right. But they had to pull him aside and say, hey, here's the way that you... And he changed. And this is what's interesting does anybody know who the, the, the author of Hebrews is? Now, you don't have to say it out loud. Here's the thing. Scholars don't know. They believe it's either Paul or Apollos. One of the two. Because the way that he wrote. Have you ever read Hebrews? It reads like this beautiful song. It's read with so much. There, there is a, it, it's almost like it's poetry neatly laid out. It's deep. It's intense. But it has the ability to begin to slice. It's like the scripture says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's the author, Hebrews 4.12. That's the author that wrote that. How powerful is that? So they believe it's Apollos. Well, now all of a sudden... You have Paul that's writing a letter here in, he, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's like he goes on a rant. For just a moment, he begins to go back and say that, hey, when I came to you in chapter 2, he said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in my ability or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. What did he say? For I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So why are you defending yourself, Paul? What is it about this you have to defend yourself in this? Except that you have a schism, a division of people saying, I was baptized by Apollos. And this was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was by Paul. So Paul is actually the first one to visit here. So there's this division that takes place. And Paul is having to confront this. And, it, and you can sense a little attitude in Paul when he's writing chapter 2 of Corinthians. And as he begins to flow through that section. And, and it's like, if he's saying, if I really wanted to razzle-dazzle you, I could. I could take you into a deep, a deep theological conversation that would expand and broaden your understandings. But you're not ready for that because you're on the milk and I, need, I can't give you the meat. Right? So he kind of establishes that. And that schism begins to bring up something that we know very well as jealousy. And there is no schism like jealousy. When we look over and we see someone that's doing much better than we are, when we see someone that gets the house that we truly desired, I'll owner what they did to get what they got. And God, I believe God takes note. It's like, okay, you can't celebrate with those. I remember that. There's a lot happening in that regard. So there's a seed that you're watering could be a tear. 
Oh, I'll leave it. So Paul responds by saying that Apollos and myself, Paul, are nothing, but only God is the one that brings increase. It's God's will for every person in this house to have increase. Why? Because he said that someone comes along and plants a seed, one begins to come and water, and then God himself brings the increase. Y'all better get ready because I'm fixing to take you somewhere. You ready? So you can, you can know what to do, but if you don't do what you're supposed to do, there can be no increase. Understand that seed is nothing more than potential fruit. I could give you, uh, there, there's some that in this room that have green thumbs and plant gardens every year, and they yield such an increase. But you don't get an increase simply by planting the seed. You don't get an increase by simply going out and weeding around the garden. There's something that has to come to bring about an increase. So... Let me just give you this if you're taking notes. Get this because it's not going to be on the side screens. To be planted, some of, you, some of you have been planted in jobs. You've been planted in regions. You've been planted places. And it's destiny. That seed is destiny concealed. That's what that is. To be planted is destiny concealed. Because there's destiny in a seed. It's just potential, right? So it has to be covered. To have increase, which is where many of us want to get to, is destiny revealed. To be planted is destiny concealed because you're buried, you're covered, nothing, you can't be seen, you can't be celebrated because nobody knows where you're at, you're covered. But to have increase, destiny, it's destiny beginning to be revealed and everybody can begin to see it. So when you plant the seed, you can't see it, so it's destiny concealed. We plant, why would we plant except that we expect the harvest, right? Why would we plant except to expect the harvest? I'm not going to plant my, my, a garden, which I'm not going to plant a garden anyway. But if I'm going to plant, well, we may have to. We don't know what the future holds. Better learn how to live off the grid sometimes here and there. I'll, just, I'll leave that alone, okay? But you, it's important to understand how, how is it if I'm going to plant something. Listen, I'm not out there just for my health. I'm not out there and, and taking a rake and a hoe and digging and doing the things that I'm doing. I'm not doing that for my own health. I'm doing that because I'm expecting something. This is like a farmer. I'm expecting something to come up at some point. So the watering is the last step before the increase. In this process, the watering is the last step before the increase. Without the watering, destiny will die in the ground, never experiencing the fullness of the potential which is inside of it. So I have a question for you tonight. Have you ever been watered? Maybe the question needs to go back, have you ever been planted? Have you ever planted yourself somewhere long enough to where it, you can be watered? And there can be an abundance and an increase and a growth and a harvest. Have you ever been watered? God operates in this whole notion of agriculture. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. And when God created every living thing, he created it with the seed inside of itself. Are you with me? This helped God so that everything that he created 
He didn't have to go back every time and say, let there be, let there be, let there be. He created it within itself an ability even for humanity to procreate, right? With the, with the woman and the man, you understand that whole process. And so the first time that he created destiny in the seed of every living thing, he, he did it so that he never has to do it over and over and over again. As long as the earth abides, he goes through this whole process, the, the, whole, the, hot, the, the hot, the cold, uh, the day and the night, and seed time and harvest. So he set that up and initiated it right off the front end of this thing. In Genesis 8, that's what it says, that there's seed time and harvest. And Jesus said, except that a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if, if it dies, if, it will bring forth. It talks about first the blade, then the full, or first, first the seed, then the, the, the blade, then the full head, the ear of the corn. So when we look in, in Jesus, and it's all throughout the Old Testament, there's an, they're in an agrarian society. It's all about agriculture. But what do, truly does agriculture mean? Agra simply means vegetation. Now, we know what a cult is. We've been labeled probably as a cult a few times. But it's agra, which means vegetation. Cult is any group of people who have religious connotations, who aren't orthodox, or who aren't ordinary compared to the rest of the, rest of the systems. So it means that the seed, what does agriculture mean? It means that the seed is not normal to the ground that it's in. I'm going to stop. Hopefully you begin to catch it. It didn't grow naturally. Some of you were not supposed to begin to grow where you were planted. I wasn't supposed to be planted in this region and come out the way that I did because I was a misfit according to what everybody said that I was supposed to become. You were supposed to be in jail, man. You were supposed to be in a dysfunctional lifestyle. You were supposed to be divorced two to three times. You were supposed to be this. Come on, does anybody identify with the story tonight? You have been planted somewhere, not by happenstance, but by God's grand design to plant you because you weren't normal. I don't know. Maybe it's going over some people's heads tonight. Maybe, maybe I just need... I, I, remember, I, I'm a... I'm a um, I forgot what I am. My love language. She knows it. There's a lot going through my mind right now. Process. Words of affirmation. There it is. So it means that I'm forcing something to grow. A farmer looks into the ground and the corn doesn't say, I can't grow here. It's too dry. The farmer takes the corn. He plants the, the corn seed into the ground, forcing it. says, I'm going to bring everything I can around it. I'm going to take some dung that you don't like the smell of. I'm going to surround you with things that nobody else is going to want to have over the top of them. Man, I want to go ahead of something right now, but I can't. I, I, got, I got to stay. I got to stay on track. Stay on track, ADD. Stay right where you're at. So it's like it, it's one of those things where I understand that I'm covered by things that don't smell good. I'm not seen by people. Nobody knows where I'm at from time to time, but I've been planted because God is the one that says, I'm planting that seed right there, and I'm going to force that seed to begin to grow. That's agriculture. I've been planted. The question is, can you remain planted where God's placed you? Some of you were not supposed to grow in the soil that you were planted in. But God said, I said live. I said live. I said I planted you here because there's a purpose. There's a harvest that I'm expecting from your life. Remember, seed is nothing more than potential fruit. Everybody in this room, you're nothing more than potential fruit. 
God sees the end from the beginning. Don't you believe that? He's God. He sees what you can become, but he's looking to see, is the seed willing to submit and yield? What are the... With all of the odds stacked against me, the abuse, the drugs, the addiction, the rejection, the abandonment, and some, some on God said, and then whenever God just begins to look at that person, and when all of a sudden something about the person begins to get some grit and says, you know what, yeah, I've faced every bit of this, but here's the problem. You can't allow the spirit of self-pity to attach itself to you. There's a lot of people walking around with a victim mentality. Well, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, this is the way it is, and I'm planted. And No, 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 you got the, it's, God looks at the heart. He's not looking. That attitude better shift, and he'll deal with that spirit. He'll, he'll confront everything about the attitude of your life, and he'll begin to he'll, I, I, mm, slow down. Conviction is your best friend. He will confront. Deal with the self-pity. Deal with the victim mentality. Yeah, but I, I didn't grow up on that side of the tracks, Pastor AJ. I didn't grow up with this. I didn't grow up with that. No, you didn't. But what is it going to be like whenever you begin to bust through the ground? Come on now. What is it going to be? What testimony are you going to have? Because all you can say is only God. It wasn't anything I could do on myself. I raised my, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I, 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 I. No, you're taking on that, that five I wills that Satan himself said when he ascended above the throne of God and got himself cast out. Remove the I and say only God. Only God. It's the only way I begin to push through the dung, the stink, and the smell. I, I'm, I'm really getting ahead of myself, and I, and I don't want to do that. Got to stay where I'm at. You didn't just come to be, or you didn't just happen. You were purposed. Because you were planted. God planted you. There's a distinction, distinction between... <laughs> There's a distinction between being planted and being buried. Being planted says, this is just a state. Being buried is one that says, this is my fate. You need to deal with that tonight, Savannah Campus. What is your mindset right now about where you are? Is it my state? I'm planted. Something's about to happen, Pastor AJ. I just can't. Or is it my fate? It's, well, this is all it's going to be. In order to do either one of those, though, you've got to do some digging. Both are concealed underground, but one has a destiny and the other does not. It's what we do with a dead man. We bury them. Then they're never rising again. But those that have been planted have a destiny. Because remember, if you're planted, that means that it's destiny concealed. You bury the dead to get rid of the body, but you plant the seed so that it can go through a process called transformation, a metamorphosis of coming back up greater than it ever was when it was placed in the ground. Have you noticed that when you're planted, when you plant a seed, there is a process that begins to take place underground that you don't see. None of us see that. We just see the rose when it begins to bust through, when it comes time for blooming, that it looks beautiful. But we don't know the process that rose went through to get to where it's at. 
Just like some of you, we don't, many people don't know your story. To get through, to, to the point to where you are now, what was the process to get you there? Because that's what God's committed to. See, that's where I'm at. I'm pulling out the process. I'm going to preach it again, talk about the process. Because the process is so important. Everybody wants to go, we don't want to be concealed, we want to be revealed. We want to go straight from the prophecy right into the promise. Prophet Lloyd's coming and he's one of the most accurate men that I've heard prophesy. He told things, that he, he said things to me that just, I, I'm, I'm blown away. That we were getting in a vehicle and I'll just give you a little short. We're getting in the vehicle in 2017. Pastor Philip had passed away, and Pastor Eddie was pulling me closer to him, and I was uh, learning to bring, because you need fathers in your life. Listen, I didn't ask for Philip Meek as my spiritual father, by the way. I never asked for him. God put him into my life, so this whole deal about, well, I'm a spiritual mother, I'm a spiritual father, you need to be quiet, because God will send you spiritual children if you need them. But he knows when you're ready, because you can do more damage then you can good. I'm a spiritual father. I'm a spiritual. No, I'm careful about that. And people that say, hey, Pastor Ray, you're my spiritual. No, I'm just like, I don't know about that. You know, let God reveal that because that takes a lot. There's a lot that goes into that whole process. But we're, we're driving to the airport to pick up Prophet Lloyd. And uh, we, we pick him up at the airport. He gets in. I tell him my name. I said, Prophet Lloyd, my name is AJ. It's nice to meet you. Hey, it's nice. You say your name was Joshua? Well, this is what's crazy. Now, I'm just going to give you a little insight right here. Um, and I honor, I said, yeah, sure, Joshua, I'm Joshua. But there was, Pastor Phillips' last couple of messages that he preached, he preached on the story of Moses, if any of you remember that. And he talked about finishing well, going into the promised land. And the Lord began to speak. The Lord began to speak to me over that whole process of a month and a half. And he began to identify, my, I began to go back and read Joshua. And so he identified, uh, 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 the prophet began to speak, and say, you know, he said, hey, hey, you know, call me Joshua for the next two years every time I saw him. Now, Joshua, how you doing? And I just said, no, God, that's who I am in this season because we're taking our people and we're moving further. That's what we're going to do. One of the most accurate, but my, I'm, what I'm, my, my point in this whole process is that it's a lot of times when there's a prophetic voice that begins to come out, everybody comes to hear the prophet because they want a word. Again, they want the seed. Give me the seed. But what are you doing with the seeds you previously received? Has the seed been planted? Have you been, have you been doing what you're supposed to do? Because you understand that it's potential fruit. Does it mean that you get an awesome word and everything's going to be peachy and great? No, no, no. It means that it's about, it just come out of eternity, out of the mouth of God, into the heart of a man. He delivers the word into the man. So now the seed of the word is open game and the enemy hears so every word that comes forth from God has to be what? Come on, somebody said it. Tested. Every word that comes from, it must be tested. Because that's how you know it's from God or not. There is a test that comes in the whole process of, of, of the seed of the word that comes forth. So it has to be tested. And there's a process of testing in your life where it's called refinement. Nobody likes that. To be tested by fire. I rebuke you, devil, and God said, rebuke all you want. That's me. We just stepped into the fiery furnace, and I'm turning it up because the fire does not destroy me if I can see it right. It refines, and it also reveals who's with me. Some of y'all hadn't had the heat turned up on you hot enough to reveal who's actually with you. What was it that Nebuchadnezzar said? He said, we threw three in, but I see a fourth. And one looks like the son of man. 
Sometimes dirt is not what you're buried in. Sometimes it's the fire and the pressure of life. The kitchen heat has been turned up and you're walking through hell and struggle and all of your friends have turned their back and walked away and they're saying every manner of of wickedness and evil against you. But how do you walk through that? God says, I didn't create that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use that and I'm going to refine you with it. Because what I got to do, David, is I got to put you under Saul. I got to put you under Saul because there's going to come a time when you're going to want to take that sword and you're going to want to go after the next generation. This is not in my notes. How many of us have come up better than when you were first planted? How many? Look back over the past six, seven, ten years of your life. Did what you walked through ten years ago, did it change you in any way? Did it change you for the better or did it change you for the worse? David said, it was good for me to be afflicted. Who would say that in their right mind? You talking about David that played like a lunatic when he was before the king of the Philistines? Yeah, same guy. (laughs) He was in his right mind when he begins to pen one of the most incredible, extraordinary psalm of, of 119. It's all about the covenant. It's all about the word of God. And he said, it's good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. That I might learn. It's good for me to be. What are you talking about, David? It's good for me to. It wasn't good for me when I was walking through. When I lost my father. And I I walked through a season of looking for a father. And didn't have one. It wasn't good for me when I stayed awake. Lonely nights. Struggling with this, that, and the other. Had all of the other things going for me. But there was still something missing. And felt completely distant from everybody. Even though that you're in a full room of people. And you can become the center of attention. And everybody loves what you're saying. And what you're doing doing and they laugh at your jokes, but you still feel distant. There's something about that. Every time you go through something dark, remember you've been planted. I'm telling you, you got to see this right. This is the only way you mature and become something great. And I'm not talking about great in the eyes of man. I'm talking about known in heaven and feared in hell. Every time you go through something dark, remember that you've been planted. But you just all of a sudden, you, but when I get back up, when I come through this, when I walk back, when I break through the ground of everything that I've been covered in, when God does what he's doing and what he's showing me is a vision, that's the toughest thing. Two weeks ago, I preached on this. I talked about, uh, about being a visionary. If you're a visionary person, it's tough. Because God shows you something, and then you have to get back up in the midst of just the normal and the mundane, and you're not seeing any movement. Because he's shown you something supernaturally. Man, I got I to keep moving. I'm about to get ready to land it because I can't go any further. Patrick, if you would come. Remember that you've been, you've been planted. I've walked. I've already walked through hell. I've walked through a hard place. It's been a dark place, but I'm on my way back up. And you have to begin to start declaring, I, I, but I'm just... I'm not buried, I've just been planted. Because at some point, God's going to use this vessel for his glory and for the expansion of kingdom. 
I'm going to stop right there. I know this is going to put us out because next Wednesday night we're there, but I'm stopping right there. I want to ask the question tonight. Stand to your feet. Are you planted or are you buried? Seriously. You can only answer that yourself. Have you been planted or have you been buried? The victim points to everybody else and says, well, they, will they, will they. But that true daughter in the kingdom that has suffered much, much affliction, all of that stuff looks and says, now, Pastor AJ, you just identified, you've just given me a weapon in prayer because I understand now. I couldn't see it previously, but now I see it. I've just been planted this whole time. They've covered me. Every situation that I've walked through where the enemy... and can I, can I use the analogy and just show you the story of Joseph? I believe... Now, this is me. When I read that scripture about the story of Joseph, I believe that Joseph was young. He was arrogant. He begins to bleed the dream. that Because here's the thing. When God shares his secrets with you, you better keep your mouth shut until he says it's time. I'm just saying. Because not everybody's going to be on the same page with you when you share your dream. Well, this is what God said. Because when you release that, you're allowing friends to develop a schism, Paul, and begin to speak against you and create a way to sabotage your destiny. That's destiny concealed for a purpose, Joseph. He showed you that so you would keep it to yourself, but you begin to speak about it. Now, the enemy's got a way to take you out. Remember, when a word goes forth, it's released out of the mouth of God out of eternity, and it's spoken into the heart of the person, but until you start to release it, the enemy doesn't know. Now, there's a timing in God. Everything is... God is all about timing, by the way. Let me, let me make sure and make that clear. In the fullness of time, you know, you read scripture, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, suddenly there came a sound, you know, it's, it's all about fullness. So Joseph reveals his secret. He goes from the, the pit to, uh, to bondage, to Potiphar's house, then goes into the prison, and then he goes into the palace. So there is a process and you don't see Joseph. Joseph is, his brother says he's dead. His father's broken. Again, he's been a seed. And God walked with him every step of the way. He gave him favor in Potiphar's house. Even when he went to the prison, God gave him favor in the prison. That he was entrusted by the prison guard. And then he's second in command. So he's been a seed that has been concealed until the time that God says, you're about to break forth. I'm not getting ahead of myself, but I got a little bit. That shell eventually is going to burst. And then it's going to bring forth the purpose for which you were born for. And then he protects the nation of Egypt. But it wasn't just for them. It was for his own people. He was planted. You can embrace the prison that you're currently in in your mind and say, this is my burial, this is my end, this is my fate. Or you can look at it and say, I can't figure out why. All I know is that what the enemy meant for evil, God is somewhere. He's going to turn this thing. I can't see it.
only he knows. I don't understand it. I don't understand why my children are acting crazy. I don't understand why that I have been through this divorce and that divorce. And I don't know. I didn't do anything wrong. But all I know is that, God, you're able to turn this thing around. And I yield. I yield. And I'm at your mercy tonight. So if we would, Andrew, bring the lights down for the sake of the people. I want this between, between you and the Lord tonight. <coughs> I'm asking you the question again. And I want you to deal with this within your own heart. Are you planted or are you buried? Because it's all about the mindset. You've got to see it the way God sees it. Right now, are you planted or are you buried? Because God wants you to bring increase. He's looking to see fruit manifest from your life that touches more than just you. He's looking to touch a community. He's looking to touch a region. He's looking to touch a family. He's looking to touch generations. He's looking to break forth and burst forth something of a revival in your world that completely shifts the next 10 years or the next 10 generations of your family line, if you could see it that way. There's power in the seed. There's power in a seed. Anything that I've preached tonight in this regard, has it touched you in the process of being planted or being buried? Do you, I mean, can you, is there anything specific that the Lord has dealt with you tonight? Come on, lift your hand if he has. Anything? Is he speaking to you tonight? Is he identifying some things? Has he put his hand on some things in your world? Has he convicted you like he convicted me? Oh, woe is me. And it's almost like sometimes I say this to myself. Shut up, AJ. Good gracious. Go on wine again. Or no, sometimes. That's crystal. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Well, sometimes. It just depends. Good Lord, that negative. Get that out this house. <laughs> Your words form what you see. Come on, you need to start. And I mean, I pray, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, when they start down that journey of self-pity and victim, well, woe is me. I didn't have this, and I didn't get that opportunity, and I didn't. No, 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 no. It just means that, you know what? When I break out of this ground, and God does what he's going to do, it's going to be something of extraordinary. It's going to make, it's, it's going to, it's going to cause people to turn their heads and see. It's not that I'm looking to draw attention, but it's just only going to say, look at what God can do through a yielded vessel and a seed that submits itself to the ground that it's been covered in that it's been planted in and it's not been buried in come on I want you to say it I've been planted I'm not buried come on make it it's it's a declaration y'all know how much declarations mean to our house come on say it again I have been planted I am not buried I have been planted say it again I am not buried. This is not the end. This is not my fate. This is just the state that I'm in because there's about to be a metamorphosis. There's about to be a transformation. God, I prophesied over the people of God tonight, even though they don't feel it themselves. I prophesy over them increase. I declare that God, let them see it tonight that the foundation was laid, that that it does not matter where the seed came from that was planted in their heart. 
you put within the seed itself an ability to bring forth a transformation and that seed has been planted in the hearts of the people tonight I declare that any self-pity if there's any uh, people that struggle with a victim mentality Holy Spirit confront that tonight convict them of that and let them see it and say God forgive me for embracing that voice of the enemy or maybe it's my own voice that I have believed I'm believing a lie because I was born to make a difference. I was born to bring increase. I was born to reveal the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, it's the people of God that the glory of God rises upon that it looks like the whole earth is covered in the glory of the Lord. I declare that tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah, clap your hands to the Lord tonight. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.